Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Thursday evening, reflecting into this wonderful and most intriguing topic of theology of the body. And uh, as I have had in the first three weeks, uh, Ivan Mora with me, a, a current Chico State student. I have him with me for our fourth installment of our series. So Ivan, it is great to have you with me. Another Thank you evening. for having me back. You betcha, Ivan. So Ivan, this evening we're going to have the opportunity to go a little deeper as it relates to that sacrificial expression of love. So we're going to talk about that certainly here in a moment. Um, but we are also going to get into the importance of how we have been redeemed in the purity of Christ. So we're going to hit upon uh, both hope and redemption in Christ. This is going to be very important. But again, before we get into that, I thought we could offer up for our listening audience this evening um, a brief reflection into this idea of sacrificial love, and then with that, really look at this a bit closer and what it means in our in our own relationships with both God and and our spouses. That's right. And we're going to talk about the relationship between love and freedom. Yeah. You know, just this Fourth of July, I decided to do a little experiment. I texted all the people on my contact list on my phone and asked them, "Freedom is," and then describe it in one or two words. Mm -hmm. And guess what the most popular answer was? Love. Each. Mm. One of the answers has some kind of relation to love. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that relationship between freedom and love. Mm -hmm. How can we understand this relationship in terms of an analogy? Well, just think of a, a couple who is really in love. All of a sudden, you see the guy doing things for the girl that he wouldn't do otherwise, like opening the door or calling her at certain times of the day, even though he's really busy. So all of a sudden, all these things that seem to be like rules or burdens to our freedom become things that he do because, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Mm -hmm. Well, in a similar way, once we encounter Christ, these rules, these things that we talked about often about our sexuality, about purity, become things not that we do because we have to, but because we want to, because we have had a change of heart. We have been redeemed. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the things that we find in theology of the body. Yeah. Ultimately, it really is about the encounter, is it not, Ivan? It really, that one word, which I believe really distills the whole new evangelization, uh, is what our whole faith is about. I mean, that encounter, encountering Christ, and how in that encounter, it opens us up to new vistas, new avenues, new ways of thinking. And we can only really understand that in light of the importance of relationship, and then out from that, what does that dynamic of relationship look like? And that's why sacrifice is so important to our understanding of theology of the body. In particular, Ivan, the phrase donation of the flesh. This was important to John Paul II, specific to how he thought about theology of the body. We have already discussed uh, the importance of 
looking at our bodies and the nuptial meaning of our bodies in light of other. And we've already talked about the importance of sacrifice, but let us put what we've already talked about within the context of this donation of the flesh. Why? Well, let's think about it. When we give ourselves totally and entirely to our spouses, what are we doing? We're actually giving our flesh. We're giving all of our physicality to other, right? Yes, but we give more than just our physicality because our anthropology is more than just body. It's more than just the flesh. It's the whole person, body and soul, flesh and spirit. And for that reason, we might begin to appreciate the context of the donation of the flesh, just not within the context of the consummative uh, embrace, the consummative act, but also in how we lay our lives down for our spouses, specifically the sacrifices that we make within the context of seeing them as a, as a flesh gift. I mean, why is it hard for us to sacrifice? Why is it hard for us to do an act that demands discipline because you're disciplining the flesh. John Paul II talks about this within the context of the sense appetite. We want to feed our senses without any struggle, without any difficulty. And yet what we fail to see is in that struggle, in that difficulty is where we are liberated. We want what we can get with the least amount of struggle. It is to say for all marriages, to the degree that we open ourselves up to other and we give of ourselves totally and entirely in all of these little sacrifices where we are literally donating our flesh, we will enter into a more powerful consummative act that ultimately points to Christ's love for his church and that sacramental union, which leads to this bursting forth of joy. When two become one, in that consummative act, in the sacrament of marriage, what bursts forth is this new energy that is life-giving love. And I think that we can also see this uh, self-donation, this call to self-donation and scripture. For example, in Ephesians 5.25, we see that Paul is saying, Love your spouse as Christ loves the church and hand himself over for her to sanctify her, cleanse cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So we can see this call to love our spouse as Christ loves the church, that he gave his life for her. So we also call to give our life for others. Amen. And this really brings us back uh, once again to the Garden of Eden. Ivan, does it not? I mean, it's to remember one of those uh, most important reflections that comes to us out of a, a good biblical theology as it relates to the Garden of Eden. I mean, what was going on there? We've talked about how Satan was exploiting their nakedness, but what did God say to Adam in those preceding verses? If you allow the snake in, if you allow God in, you will have to die a death, right? This comes right out of the biblical text. And so, what we know is that Satan got in. So he was going to have to die a death, a physical death or a spiritual death. Well, what did he choose? Well, we know that he, he chose a spiritual death. And this is why we see Ivan all throughout the Old Testament narrative of salvation history, 
every time that a covenant was established with God, what was the hallmark of that covenant making? Sacrifice. And it would all point towards Christ on the cross. Just as Adam failed to give himself to his bride, what does Christ do? He gives himself to his bride. He donates his flesh. And that beautiful reflection that really is an outgrowth of what you were just talking about, of the need to donate our flesh totally and entirely to make that marital embrace what it ought to be. This is, I think, a most beautiful truth that comes out from theology of the body, that here we have Christ dying on the cross, giving himself totally and entirely on the cross for his bride, the church, the sacramental church, and how we enter into this this bridal union with Christ, and how in turn this shapes and forms our understanding of how we as males are called to give of ourselves to our spouses. How, (laughs) Ivan, how all males out there need to die, die to self, donate their flesh so that the marital embrace, the conjugal act, the, the consummative act will be what it needs to be. I mean, this is what Christ teaches us on the cross. And that seems very provocative maybe to some of our listeners, but this is entrenched in the biblical text. It's beautiful. You know, just recently I went to a panel. It was a conference and, in, and they had a panel and a newly, a recently married couple was being interviewed and someone asked them, so tell us, how has having Christ in your relationship, how does being in a Christ-centered relationship has affected your relationship? How does it make it different than, for instance, someone who doesn't have Christ? And, and the answer that this woman gave was amazing. She said, because Christ teaches how to love each other, the sacrifice. In the world, we might learn that it's about what I can get, what is in this relationship for me. But when Christ is the center of our relationship, we learn to deny ourselves, to die ourselves for the sake of each other. Mm. And that has totally and greatly enriched our marriage. Amen. Amen. You know, it brings me back to those words of G.K. Chesterton, the nature of love is to be bound. And when we understand love defined as sacrificial, then I think we really can begin to, to grasp at what you're talking about and more collectively what we're talking about as a whole. And it is to remember, you know, Ivan, God reveals the meaning of our existence in the nuptial meaning of our body. I don't, I don't ever want to get too far from that great truth. And because the nature of love is to be bound, what we are made to see then is that the nuptial meaning of our bodies really points us to a deeper truth. We talked about it last week. That sexual urge is the raw material for a more authentic love to develop. And this is why we need to enter into this more deeply. If we're just going to satisfy that sexual urge, minus that sacrifice, minus that gift, then ultimately that consummative act is void of meaning. And I, right. I just don't say that outside of, of the sacrament of marriage. I say that inside the sacrament of marriage. I mean, we have to understand uh, that even within marriage, we can really use our spouses in the sense of just treating them as objects that ultimately um, are only there to be used to satisfy an urge. And marriage is so much more than that. And that is so important for John Paul II in his theology of the body. He really wants us to see this, that that sexual urge is there 
for a reason, for that more authentic expression of love to develop. And if there's no sacrifice within a marriage, then that act itself will become more void of meaning. I think it's, it will be uh, good to review what the word nuptial meaning of the body means. Yes, yes. Nuptial means marital, spousal. So I think that it's, if we just take a look at our bodies, we can see that we were made for uh, love, for Amen. union with another person. Amen. And so when John Paul II speaks about the nuptial meaning of the body, he's referring to our call to love uh, in this spousal union. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned earlier that there's a deeper meaning to this union mm-hmm. that goes beyond just the sex. That's right. And I think if we look at scripture, we can understand what this deeper meaning is. For example, we can see that in Ephesians 5.32 that this union points us to the ultimate marriage between Christ and our church. And as we mentioned in previous recordings on Theology of the Body, throughout the Old Testament we can see that the prophets referred to the relationship between God and His people as a spousal relationship. In Hosea it says, On that date, says the Lord, she, sh- she shall call me my husband, and I will spouse you, to me forever. Mm-hmm. And then in Isaiah 54, 5, it says, your creator shall become your husband. Mm-hmm. These words can be shocking, especially for the male, uh, for a person who is, who is a man, because we usually think of God as the provider, the protector, the creator, but a lover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very rarely do we think of God as a lover, mm-hmm. but we can see that God is not just good, he's not just perfect, but he wants to have a loving relationship with his people. He wants to marry us. Amen. And that's again, Revelation 19, 7. You know, that marriage supper of the Lamb where in the Eucharist we enter into this uh, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ where he actually lives inside of us. It adds on to this discussion of nuptial, spousal. And another thing that we can think of is why is it that in Matthew Chapter 22, verse 30, it says that there will be no marriage mm-hmm. in heaven. Mm-hmm. It says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Mm-hmm. Is it mm-hmm. because somehow marriage or this spousal union is not worthy of the kingdom of God? Or God somehow changed his mind and said, hey, this marriage thing, never mind, delete? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's yeah. because we no longer need a sign to point us to heaven That's when right. we are in heaven. Mm-hmm. That would be like having a sign here outside of KKXX that says, KKXX, zero miles, enjoy the trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. wait, we're already here. Yes, that's so. right. That's right, Ivan. And as, you, as we talk about the heavenly Jerusalem, as we talk about the resurrection, uh, maybe this would be a good point of transition to talk about um, our hope and redemption in Christ. Definitely. Well, what do we mean by that word, redemption? Well, let me give you a definition by theology of the body. Redemption means the ransom of humanity from the slavery of sin to a new life of freedom through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In other words, it is that liberation from our slavery to sin. Mm-hmm. Now, some people may wonder, what well, is it possible that we can ever be totally uh, free from our, from our sins in this world? What would you say? Well, certainly in the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, God reconciles himself with the world, and he draws us deeper into uh, that relationship with Jesus Christ that is made whole again. And this is where our our hope rests, you know, Ivan. When we talk about redemption and and we we talk about 
um, essentially the heavenly Jerusalem. This is what we have hope in. And so hope becomes a very important virtue for John Paul II. You know, one can say that if you were to take one virtue uh, out there and apply it to his pontificate, it would be hope. Some have tagged his uh, papacy as one who was crossing the threshold of hope. I mean, so what is the definition of hope? Yes, it is the confident assurance of God in heaven, but it is also the potential of the yet unseen the potential of what we can become in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in light of being redeemed in Jesus Christ. I mean, ultimately, what we are made to see, Ivan, is that Christ reveals the full meaning of man, body and soul. And in doing so, what he gives us is hope, hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have talked often here on this radio program about seeing our relationship with God, just not within the context of um, what is bodily, but what is also made to be divine. We are shares uh, in in God's divine nature. And when we enter into uh, the sacramental life of the church and and in the life of prayer, what we are doing is drawing deeper into Jesus Christ and inspiring in many ways that virtue of hope within us that it might well up and bring bring about a deeper sense of conviction in our faith and ultimately what it means to be renewed. That's one of the greatest uh, things about being a Christian, our hope that, like it says in Revelation 21, verse 3 to 5, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning or pain in our lives. Mm -hmm. But our hope is not just in heaven, which is so great hope, but also we believe that because of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed also here on this earth. We can come to experience our sexuality, our, our humanity as he was meant to be more and more. You see, Christ didn't just die and rise from the dead so that we can continue to repress ourselves and be unhappy and miserable. Mm-hmm. He also died and raised to free us, to set us free. This is possible through Jesus Christ. Part of this hope is also the, the healing, too, that needs to take place. I mean, the, the promise that, that John Paul II talks about a great deal in Theology of the Body is that Jesus offers us hope and healing from our pain and regret, past and present. If we have sinned, he has redeemed us from our sin, and we are called to seek the grace of the sacrament and healing from past wounds. In particular, Ivan, the sin of misusing and abusing our sexuality. I think it is often overlooked, uh, just not within the Catholic Church, but also just in, in, in Christian circles, the need for uh, a healing of memory, the need to be restored in Jesus Christ from past hurts. Uh, we have sinned, and we are sinners. But if we do understand that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us from our sin, what we are called to do is to bring Jesus into our past and allow him to conquer those moments in our lives that have us weighed down. We are burdened, yes. not always because of, of today or what we think is going to happen because of the anxiety that we are at times overwhelmed with, but, but really because of what has happened in our past. You and I and all of our listeners out there um, have been hurt or have also hurt others. And what we are made to see is that we need to be healed of those past wounds. It is to remember that sexual sin is the first sin that Christ forgives with the woman caught in adultery. Uh, So this is all very important. 
as we talk about this too, Ivan, I can't help but think, you know, part of the problem in today's culture, um, we, can, we can talk about redemption all we want, we can talk about hope all we want, but we first have to, re- have to recognize that we are sinners. That's right. And we are in need of God. And based upon that truth and that truth alone, uh, does our faith stand? Remember, what does uh, the name Jesus mean, Yeshua? God saves. What, what does Matthew tell us? You will name him Jesus because he will save us from our what? Sin. We are sinners. And once we realize that we are sinners, we realize that we need God. And it's also important to remember that God's love for us is greater than our sins. Because sometimes it's easy to think that because of our mistakes, because of what's happened to us in our life, that somehow we're not worthy of God's forgiveness or Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who once told me, I don't go to church because... I know the kind of life I'm living and the things that I have done. So when I'm in there, I feel like a hypocrite. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the devil will sometimes not only make us sin, but he will also make us want to beat ourselves up for what we have done. That's right. And confuse us and discourage us from seeking that redemption, seeking that forgiveness from God. That's right. In the words of Mother Teresa, she said, The devil may try to use the hurts of life and sometimes our own mistakes to make you feel It is impossible that Jesus really loves you. This is a danger for all of us. It is completely the opposite of what Jesus really is wanting to tell you. Not only does he love you, but even more, he longs for you. He always accepts you. Bring all your sufferings to his feet. Only open your heart to be loved by him as you are. He will do the rest. Amen. And maybe we can put it this way. Satan knows our name, but calls us by our sin. Jesus Christ knows our sin, but he calls us by our name. I mean, that's the essence of it. And I I emphasize the name because that's the encounter. And out from that encounter, Ivan, we grow in purity. John Paul II says that we must devote ourselves to a progressive education in self-control of the will, of sentiments, of emotions, which must be developed from the simplest of gestures in which it is relatively easy to put the inner decision into practice. This is John Paul II's uh, vision of purity once again. So for example, you know, what are your eating habits? If you cannot say no to a cup of coffee, if you cannot say no to a potato chip, if you cannot say no to a bowl of ice cream, then how can you possibly say no to lust? Fasting from these material attachments, from these sense attachments, can be a wonderful way to grow in mastery of our passions. If this is not already a part of your life, start with a simple sacrifice that is relatively easy to put into practice. And we've mentioned the name Christopher West. Christopher West talks about this in his work, Theology of the Body for Beginners. So essentially what we find is that if we put something into practice and develop that habit, we will increase in that self-mastery and we, we will begin to say no to uh, that self-indulgence of lust. To say no to one thing is to say yes to another thing. To say no to that cup of coffee, that potato chip, that bowl of ice cream, is to say yes to someone else. And of course, that someone else is the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now, now, am I saying that you cannot have a bowl of ice cream or, or a cup of coffee? No. But if you are overindulging in those things, then there's your problem. Huh? There's a reason why temperance is a cardinal virtue, that virtue that speaks to balance, self-mastery. When we begin to say no to those things in the daily routine and rhythm of, uh, of life, we will discover Ivan is something beautiful on the other side. We will be able to say no to uh, that urge that so often overwhelms so many of us. And it's when we're able to appreciate what we're saying yes to, that it becomes easier to say no. Amen. Like a person who's trying to build a boat. You can tell your people all of the rules on how, or the, the do's and don'ts on how to build a boat. Or you can talk to them about the beauty awaiting for them on the seas. Mm. Because once they can see where they're going, once, once they can see what's awaiting them, the boat will almost build on itself. Yeah. In a similar way, once we can see what God has destined us for, the kind of love and fulfillment that He has destined us for, then all of a sudden all these things that we talked about purity become things that we do not because we have to, but because we want to. Yeah, that's right. And it really brings us full circle to our opening point as it relates to freedom and love, does it not? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have not been given the freedom to break the law, but to, f to fulfill it, not to do what we want to do, um, but what we ought to do. John Paul II would say that God has uh, inspired into our very bodies uh, life and love. And so uh, we can follow the rules, but not understand the life-giving power behind them if we just enter into this, this kind of religious formalism. What we are made to see, Ivan, is that God inspired, breathed into us life and love that we might gain an appreciation on not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law and how the spirit of the law has this life-giving power. It's so important to keep this, we can say, Ivan, in a rear view mirror, the relationship between freedom and love. And you know, all that God is, all that God is just waiting for us is to give him our yes. Yes. Because purity will always be a daily battle in our life. In the words of John Paul II, in the Catechism, he says, Because of original sin, human nature is weakened in its powers, subject to ignorance, suffering, and the domination of death, and is inclined to sin. But it is Christ who gives us the grace to overcome sin. And all God is waiting is for us to give Him our yes, even if we don't know how to win. In other words, sign up for the mm -hmm. battle, even mm -hmm. if you don't know yet how you're going to win. Because the moment that we give God our yes, yes, I want to be pure. Yes, I want to leave my sexuality the way it was meant to be. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will give us that grace that we need, empower us to leave it. That's right. St. Paul says, fight the good fight, run the race, and they're cheering us on. Amen. Let us close that. in prayer, Ivan. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.